open. Let's get ready to make this confession. Hold up your Bibles and say this. This is my Bible. I am what, I'm, I, I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I do what it tells me to do. And I love my Bible. So I make this as a confession. That I will meditate therein. Both day and night. On a chapter in the morning. And a chapter in the evening. And because I do. My life is blessed. It's no more a mess. Now everything I touch. Everything I touch. Now turns to success. If you believe that, shout hallelujah. Amen. Well, welcome Facebook family. We welcome you to our Faith Family Church broadcast. I am so, so excited about this message today. So grab your Bible, tune in, and I believe you'll be blessed. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this another opportunity to meditate your word. Your word, O God, is a lamp unto our feet, and it is a light unto our path. We ask that you shine the light of your word to us today by the Holy Spirit. Help us to see it. Help us to get it. Your word to us in the mighty name of Jesus. We covenant to give you and you only all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the text for today is found in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles or if you're taking notes. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples which means he's talking to us. Anybody here follower of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Well, in verse 34, which is our text for today, he says to us, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all Everybody will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So we're really going to look at that and we pray that by the end of this message, that verse, those verses will be like revelation to your life. But our series foundation is found in the book of 1 John chapter 4. We don't have time to look at the whole chapter. But in verse 16 through 19, we really find the heart of this message or this series. In verse 16 it says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in the God kind of love abides in God. And God, or love, abides in him. Love has been perfected, fully grown, matured, or developed. Among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in the God kind of love. But a fully grown, fully matured, developed love will cast fear out. Because fear involves torment. And love, will never, love never wants to see you tormented. But he who fears has not been fully developed, fully grown or matured in this God kind of love. We love him because he first loved us. Uh, So I'm concluding today uh, this series with this finale on the subject of perfecting love. It's a family series, actually, that's based on 1 John 4, 16 through 21. We stopped at 19. 
I'm, I, I like to watch uh, TV, and I haven't really watched much TV in the last couple of months. But about this time of year, they'll have a, a mid-season series finale. And they'll leave you at the highest point of, uh, of the moment. And I want to end this series on a very high, high note. This is probably, in my opinion, one of the most important messages that, that you can have out of the whole series. This series um, and the perp- uh, is about families. And the purpose and function of families is so we can work on perfecting love. We looked carefully last week at why did God ordain families for the human being? Angels don't have families. Animals don't have families. I mean, they have some similitudes, but nothing in comparison to the order of family. Why did God ordain or establish or, you know, cause us to function in families? It is so that we can perfect love, as you'll see throughout this series and especially today. That work begins of perfecting love. It begins with God's love for us and our love for him. It extends and continues with our love for our spouse, with our love for our kids, and then fourthly, our love for others in our lives. With fear being such a damning factor in life, and, um, and a part of life, God's solution to the problem of fear is perfecting love. In other words, because fear can mess your life up, it will cause bad things to happen. It will bring bad things to you that you don't want to happen. Well, in order to eradicate and deal with that, he's given us the opportunity to perfect love because perfected love casts out fear. God's solution to the problem of fear is perfecting love. He gives us opportunities to eradicate fear while perfecting love. And this message series is about that. Now, there's four parts, and this is the fourth part of this series. We started talking about God loves me. How many of you all know God loves you? Amen. Amen. And then we saw the second part of that is I love God. Amen. Then we looked at the second message, which was I love my spouse. If you're married, I love my wife. Amen. And I love her like God loves me. Amen. And then the third part of the, the series, you can go on to the next slide. I'm sorry. Um, I love others like God loves me. Um, and then the next one, I'm sorry. Thank you. So and then we learned that I love my kids like God loves me. Right. So we learned that the ultimate goal in parenting is to raise our children in the God kind of love, to teach them how to love in life with this higher kind of love. And then lastly, um, which is today's message, I love others like God loves me. So I was uh, meditating and and, and this graphic came in my mind to describe to you as we finish this series what this looks like. At the first, we have God and our love for him should be more than anything in anybody. How many of y'all believe that to be true? I mean, Jesus himself said, if you love your spouse or your children or your parents more than God, then you're not worthy of him. Amen. Amen. And so we've learned to put God first. You know, God will save your your spouse. He'll save your marriage. He'll save your children. So put him first. And so if if we could quantify love, our love for God would be at the 100 percentile. And then our love for our spouse should be second to that. I mean, you should have nobody ahead of your spouse in life. If if you're going to do it the way that God intends it. And that is to love your spouse 
the way that he loves you at the highest level humanly possible, right? And then where our kids are concerned, well, and I'll, I'll say this because some people, because of whatever, have sometimes put their kids before their spouse. Some people put their kids before God, but, you know, especially true and especially like in a blended family. Well, you know, I went through a, a, a terrible relationship and we had a child and this child went through me in a hard point of life and, and, and now you come along and now I'm married to you. But as far as I'm concerned, it's this child first and then it's you. The child knows that. I know that. And you know that. <laughs> That's not the way to do marriage. And if you're not there, then, then you need to develop in love because love does it the right way. You need to teach that child so that when they get married, they'll do it the right way. Amen. So you demonstrate love for God, love for spouse, and then love for them. After all, they're going to leave you anyway. <laughs> you know, Adam said no, the, the child shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife. Amen. And so third on the list is, is our kids. We love our kids, but we love them like God loves, loves us. And then last is we love others. But this is a big category. Who are the others love one another? Who, who is he referring to? He was talking to his disciples and we want to look at that today. So the title of this message is called I Love Others Like God Loves Me. Now, I, I, I like this graph. And as I was driving to church, I went back and I, I, I changed it as it relates to the green color. You know, in, uh, in the Olympics, if you have a particular, like a diving sport, they'll tell you what the degree of difficulty is, and that affects the score. Like this particular move is, you know, a degree of difficulty. If we could put degrees of difficulty, how difficult is it to love this person? Then how many of y'all know we're loving God that would be the least difficult to love. I mean, 2% or, or even less. I mean, it is so easy to love God because he's absolutely perfect. Amen. I mean, there, he will never wrong you. He will never lie to you. He will never mistreat you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I preach this message today? I mean, when you talk about degrees of difficulty in loving God, I mean, it would have to be just, it's so easy to love him. But when it comes to loving your spouse, you know, that's about 50%. Come on, come on. <laughs> I'm making light of it. If you have a marriage like mine, it's just so much fun. We have joy. It's work, but it's, it's a thrill. But in reality, in the world, I mean, 50% of average marriage ends in divorce because there's a degree of difficulty in that. And then I put the children... Because they could be cantankerous sometimes. I put that as a little bit more difficult, especially as you get. I mean, at least your spouse will never leave you if you do it right. Amen. Your, your, your spouse won't leave you. Praise God. But those kids, they're going to leave you. So it ought to be easier to love them than love them. Amen. And so I put the little. But notice here, and this is my point, because this is the most important part of this message. Because the toughest people to love are not going to be the ones that's like the spouse or the kids, but it's going to be this other group. And I believe it's also why God gave the direct command through Jesus to love one another. So are you all interested in this today? All right. So let's dig in. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says a new commandment I give to you. So he's not talking to the Jews. He's not talking to the sinners in the multitude. He's talking to people that are followers to him believers in him so that means he's talking to us now notice he says a new commandment that means there once was an old commandment 
and the old commandment that he's referring to are the two great commandments. That you should love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And that we are commanded, we were in the Old Testament, commanded to love our neighbor. Come on. As we love ourselves. Notice nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded those two commandments the same. We're not commanded to love God. We just read it. We love him automatically because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. So he doesn't have to command us to love like he did in the Old Testament. They didn't have the capacity to love God in that way. But we do. We have the love of God in us by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we don't see in the New Testament that a command to love our neighbor. I didn't say we shouldn't love our neighbors, but we don't have a specific command to love to love our neighbor. And certainly we're not commanded to love them like we love ourselves. So he replaces that. And he says, you got one job. Here's your job. I want you to love one another. Now, if you're going to be a doer of the word of God, then you are going to want to know who is the other in the one another so that you can make sure that you're being obedient. I mean, very rarely does Jesus say, I'm commanding you to do this. Amen. But he does here. And he says, I want you to do this as I have loved you. Use my love for you as an example of how you are to love them that you also love one another. And notice this, when you do this, he says, by this, all will know. Who's the all he's referring to? He's talking about everybody. If you love one another, then everybody in the world. So in other words, he's not telling you or commanding you to love everybody. Can't we just all get along? Well, I don't have, in my opinion, I don't have a specific explicit command from God to love the sinner or to love the world. Matter of fact, he says to love the world, the things of the world, to be an enmity against God. But I do have a direct command to love one another, to love each other. And he's talking to his disciples. So I really want to take time today to define the other in the one another. Amen. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another and notice, I just underlined the other part. So who is, uh, so who is the other is someone other than you. How about that? Let's start with that. So when he says, you know, don't just love yourself. I want you to love someone other than you. OK, well, that's still big and broad. Who specifically are you referring to? Well, we looked at spouse. We looked at uh, children. Do you believe that we have a command to love father and mother and brother and sister? That would be interesting. I believe we do. But then what about beyond that? What about our spiritual family? We know that there's two. Now, we know we're commanded to love family. We see that we're, we're put in family. Saw the man love, you know, leave. So, so we're put in family. We have that command. But what about our faith family? We know there's only two families in the earth, the family of God and the family of devil. So I wonder if when he said, I want you to love one another, what if he was referring to other people that are saved? Other people that are born again. And then uh, before you go to go back on, what about your extended family? Are they a part of you? Oh, man, it got quiet. Praise God. I knew I had the right message today. I believe with all my heart that the one another that he's referring to because God ordained family. Remember, this is a family series. 
I believe he ordained. Families like the dolphins are only together for like two years. And even other animals that stay together a longer period of time, like the elephant, it's not the perfect picture. But when you look at the human and what God has, you remember what Cain and Abel? He said, where's your brother? I believe that we have a command and an obligation, not only where our natural biological family is concerned, but also where our spiritual family is concerned. That the one another that we are commanded to love include father and mother, include brother and sister, and include grandmama, uncle, auntie, nephew, niece, cousins. And then all your spiritual family together. I'm going to share with you uh, in in Matthew chapter 12, um, early in the chapter, Jesus, he said something. He's really talking about families. But then at the end, something happened. And this is really remarkable. He's ministering to the multitudes. He got he left the synagogue. Now he's ministering to the multitudes. And the Bible says in verse 46 that while he was talking, while he was still talking, I mean, he's in in the middle of talking to the multitudes. His mother and brothers, somebody say mothers, mother and brothers, they stood outside seeking to speak. So the way I was taught is when you read the Bible, go there, like imagine being there. So let's imagine that he's ministering to like three, four, five, ten thousand people are there. He's ministering to them and his mother and brother aren't there with him. Brothers. They don't even mention, I, I, after the birth of Jesus, I don't see or hear much about Jesus' father. <laughs> well, he wasn't real, he's the stepfather, there you go. But in this case, the father's not there, but the mother and brothers of Jesus come, and they're not coming into the meeting, they're on the outside of the meeting. Look at the next verse. In verse 47, then one said to him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside, and they're trying to speak to you. What's going on here? So maybe, you know, you know, they came, they're standing on the outside. They want to speak, but he's not stopping to deal with it. And then somebody brings it to his attention, obviously interrupting him. And they're like, look, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are trying to speak with you. And notice he answered and said to the one who's told him, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, that's kind of bold. I mean, go back for a minute. I don't want y'all to go too fast. Who is my mother? You know who your mother is. <laughs> Come on, think about it. If you the one that are bold enough to interrupt Jesus to say, you know, hey, Jesus, you, your mama, you know, mama want to talk to you. That means drop what you're doing and go out there, right? And he looked at the guy and he said, well, who is my mother and my brothers? He went one step beyond this. He in in, in the next verse, he he stretched out his hands towards his disciples and he said, here are my mother and brothers. In other words, my mother and brother is supposed to be here, (laughs) supposed to be with me. But but nonetheless, he said, who is my mother and brother? He stretches out his hands and he says, here are my mother and my brothers with exclamation. Now, think about this for a moment. Your mama out there, you know, like go in there, tell Pastor Stan, I want to see him. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I'm like, you know, who is my mother and brother? How many of y'all know? Come on, that's <laughs> Thank you, Brother Ricky. I mean, that, that, that's going to get back, right? You know, who is your mother and your brother? You know, I raised you. I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right? 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? What's going on here? Um, and why are they standing on the outside? Why? I mean, this is the Messiah. I mean, if Jesus was in your family, wouldn't you want to be at every one of his meetings? You saying, yeah, but they didn't. Because what if his family was like your family? I mean, after all, Jesus was the firstborn. He was the golden child. Mama had a vision and a promise for this. He's the promised child. He's the chosen. I don't know you ain't got, I know you don't have nobody in your family like that. Come on now. He's perfect. Jesus never made a mistake. You done messed up four or five things, right? Come on, y'all help me now. This is not the 830 service. And there's, you know, and so as you grow up after a while, it's like, yeah, I know you're doing all those miracles. But, you know, there's that thing between family that requires a kind of love that goes beyond the natural. What if Jesus had that experience? He said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Notice those four words in this one verse. Father, brother, sister and mother. I believe they are the other that fall in that line. You better believe you are commanded to love your father and your mother. Whether they were there for you or not for th- there for you. You are commanded to love them like God loves you. He says, honor them and the days of your life will be long. You're commanded to love your brothers and love your sisters as we're about to see clearly through this message. And that goes on beyond. I mean, love for your extended family and especially love for your faith family. Whoever does the will of my father is my mother, my brothers, my sisters, etc. Notice he left is he left father off of that list. Why? Because he said, don't call any man on the planet your father because you got one father in heaven. That means everybody else is brother and sister. Right. But where's he going with this? Earlier in Matthew 12, he said a house divided against itself shall not stand. We see that same verse of scripture in Mark chapter three and verse 25. It says, and Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Do you know, do you know that Satan knows that? And from the beginning of creation, he has worked to bring about division in families. To put father against son, to put mother against daughter. If you've ever wondered why some of the most difficult relationships in your life are in your family, it's because Satan knows that a house that's divided against itself is not going to experience the blessing of the Lord like God intended. So from the beginning of time, when Adam and his wife had that baby and had another baby, from the very beginning of time, he, Satan, has been working to put brother against brother and sister against sister. Why? To undo what God has done. He attacks the institution of family. I've often wondered in my life, you know, at times, because, you know, uh, I'm like you. I come from a family like you. And not everybody in my family really, really, really likes me. <laughs> I know they all really, really love me. But, you know, there's things about me I believe my own parents don't like. <laughs> the number one person on the planet that likes me the most is my wife. I believe, I, she liked me so much she married me. <laughs> I believe that. But, but where, where, my, where my natural family is concerned, where extended family is concerned, I'm like, you know... The, I'm like you. Right. 
And I would often wonder because of this verse in Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17 said, can we be real today? Can we talk? In Proverbs 17, 17, the Bible says a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. And that would always come up in my mind when something happens between me and one of my brothers. It's like, were you put in my life to be a burr in my saddle? <laughs> right? You know, and, and it's like, were you born to cause me trouble? And they might feel the same way. But I read this in the New Living Translation, and it actually means that a friend is good at all times, but a brother will be with you in the time of need. Why? Because of the bond. Come on. For what God intended, God intended for you and I to stick together and stay together in families. And that's so important. And then there's this other verse of scripture in Proverbs. Proverbs 17 said, you know, a brother is born for adversity. But Proverbs 18 says that if something happens between brothers, if if, if one of your siblings, extended family members become offended because you did something. You asked to borrow money and they didn't come through for you. Y'all know how that is. Uh, come on now. I know it's quiet, but maybe it's just the people on Facebook. So you know how that is, you know, where, where you expected them to do something or they let you down or they crossed the line with you. And now they're offended or you're offended. Listen to what the Bible says, that a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Can we talk about that for a moment? The Bible says that when you have a a blood, you know, someone in your family, spiritual family or natural family, and y'all become offended, that it's harder to win that person back to a good relationship than it is to win a, a strong city. But notice that it doesn't say impossible. He's just giving you wisdom and in advance to tell you that it may not be easy But I mean, the city of Jericho was a walled city. It was a strong city. And the children of God walked around it and the walls came down. I'm ministering this message to you that just in case that you have a loved one in your family and in your life, God's commanded you to love them. And maybe they're offended or you're offended. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. You've got your work cut out for you. And listen, the love of God applied to that situation will win. Amen. Amen. So when you talk about loving one another, you're talking about loving someone other than you, you know, and that that really should go beyond beyond you and your family. But what about our neighbors? Are we commanded to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? I mean, what about our coworkers? You know, do we have this command? I mean, how broad does this command reach and where can we begin to focus? Well, what does the word of God have to say about loving sinners or even loving our enemies? Are we commanded to do it? I submit to you that in comparison to what we see in John 13, that we are not commanded to love our neighbors, our co-workers, sinners or our enemies in the same way. You said, but doesn't the Bible say love your enemies? Yes, it does. And I'm glad you know your Bible. So let's look at that since you brought it up in Matthew chapter five and verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your what? Come on, talk to me, church. You shall love your what? Now, has anybody ever heard that said? All right. Well, Jesus is telling the truth. He didn't lie. Amen. Well, notice he said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
Now, I don't remember ever hearing that growing up. What I remember hearing is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right. But in the world, how many of y'all know colloquial expressions can get around and they can come up with ideas like love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And in, 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 in a context in the world's mind, that makes sense. Come on, that's how it's supposed to be in the world. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Doesn't that make sense in the natural? And he's bringing that up to them. He says, you heard that, but I say to you. Now, that's what they say in the world. That's what you hear out there in the world. But what I say to you is do what? Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that what? Hate you and pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. But notice he says, I say to you, he doesn't say, I command you. Is there a difference? Now, remember, how do you interact with your adult sons and daughters? You advise them. You don't teach them, train them. You advise them. In other words, you give them advice. If I were you, I wouldn't do it that way. In other words, you don't tell a grown person what to do. Come on, they're grown. Respect them. Come on, when they were a child, you could tell them what to do. They're over 20 now. If I were you, I wouldn't do it that way. Right. Well, think about it. I believe here he has given us good advice. In other words, he's saying, do it like this in the world. They do it that way. But in God, if I were you, I would love my enemies. Why? Because then you will be like sons of your father in heaven. How many of y'all know God does good for the evil and for the good? That's what the Bible says, for he makes it to the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And he says, but if you love those who love you, then what reward do you have? Think about it. If you just love your, your, your spouse, your kids, your extended family and your faith family, then I mean, they love you. But when you go beyond that and love your enemies, you're doing some real work. And he said, don't even don't even the tax collectors do the same. Right. The heathen. Yeah, they love people that love them. They hate people that hate them. He says, you're better than that. You've got something in you that's bigger than that. Whoa, I'm preaching good. Come on. Verse 47 says, and if you greet your brethren only, if you only speak to and are kind to and greet those that are in your family, extended family, faith family, then you what do you more than others? He says, don't even heathen people do the same. So what is he telling us? He says, because of all these things, if you do this, you'll be fully grown and mature. You'll take you'll take life and love to another level when you love your enemies, your neighbors, your co-workers and your sinners and, and the sinners, just as your father. So there's something we should do. This is something that we should do, but we don't have a direct command to do so. So I want to eliminate What we're saying about John 13, 34 and 35, I want to eliminate that from the command and from the conversation. Yes, you should love them, but you're not commanded to. Just like you should tithe, but you're not commanded to do so. Somebody say, why he got to bring that up? Always, (laughs) always bring up the tithe and mess up a good message. No, Jesus said you ought to tithe. Ought to means should. That means you don't have to. But how many of y'all know it's good to take Jesus advice? So even though you haven't figured out in your mind why you should tithe, you should. Oh, you get quiet. Let me go on. (laughs) So for the rest of this message, I want to focus on 
the command to love father, mother, sister, brother, faith, family, and extended family. And that's a handful. It may be the toughest because it might be easier for you to love a stranger than it is for you to love your sibling. You don't have that much history with the stranger. Right? You're not expecting, you know, you kind of are, you know, kind of keep them in a distance. You're not expecting a brother or sister to stab you in the back. To do you like that. Right? So I want to focus on this because it, it is a command from God and it's something. And notice he said, if you do this, then all the rest will be drawn to that kind of love. Because they got stuff in their family and they're not doing it right either. Amen. All right. In First John chapter four. Now, we read earlier in different. We read 16, but we go back to 11. In verse 11, he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. Now, when you see love one another now, that means, you know, extended family, faith family and your immediate family, father, mother, brothers and sisters. So he says, if God loved us, we ought to love the folks that are in our natural family. But that's not always the case. Verse 12, he says, no one has seen God at any time. And that's true. But we love God. Isn't that right? So we haven't seen him, but we love him. He says, if we love one another, if we love one another, those are the people that we can see. If we do that, then God abides in us. Why? Because we can't see him and it's easy to love him. But when you see them and you remember all of what they did and what they said, and come on, somebody, it makes it difficult to love them. And he says, if you love them, then. Hallelujah. You'll be demonstrating that God abides in us and that it's his love that abides in us. I believe Jesus was very passionate about family and I don't think he had the perfect family. I believe the reason why they were outside is because they weren't all along in agreement with with what was going on. In the end, they came back. Jesus was very passionate about family. I don't know if you know this, but um, m- almost more than half of the disciples were brothers. Peter and Andrew were called into Jesus's ministry. They were brothers. James and John was brothers. Philip and Nathaniel was brothers. And I think it's one more set of brothers. Almost eight out of 12 of the disciples it's passionate. How many of y'all know it's beautiful when brothers are together? Hey Amen. My, my brother's here. I got, two, I got two brothers. Both brothers are here. Praise God. My sister's in, in Michigan with my mom and dad. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. But how many of y'all know the enemy works against that? Amen. God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Now, we read all the way to verse 19. I want to pick up in verse 20 and watch this. In verse 20, he says, if someone says, I love God. Now, is there anybody here that says, I love God? So he's talking about you in this verse. So watch this. If you say you love God, but you hate your other. Now, the other I'm referring to is your father, your mother, your brother, or your sister, your extended family. Or, your, or any believer in Christ, no matter their denomination, then you're lying. For he who does not love his brother, father, mother, brother, sister, extended family, faith family, if you, love, if you do not love them and you can see them, 
then how can you love God whom you haven't seen? And then verse 21 says, and this commandment. Now, this is John, the apostle speaking. This is not Jesus. He is echoing the command that Jesus ministered in John chapter 13. He's amplifying it, redefining it. And he says, if you say you love God, but you hate someone in your family or in your faith family, then you're lying. And because if you can love your brother, if you can't love him, you can see him. Then how can you really love God? And this commandment we have from him. What is that commandment? That he who loves God. Is that us? Then what? Must. Must. Love his other also. He said, but pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. (laughs) Joyce Myers tells the story that her father, up until 18 years old, molested her. How in the world should she be commanded to love someone like that? Maybe some things happening in your life that you... As far as that person is concerned, you hate them. If they were to walk in the room right now, maybe it is not like a, you know, maybe it was somebody that just did you wrong. And yet they are supposedly a believer. Maybe there was abuse or maybe there was adultery or maybe, you know, something really, really bad happened. If you could play something softly for me because the church is getting quiet. Amen. And and I really want to minister to you. Can I tell you all a story? And this is a true story. Um, In when I went to Bible school in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Brother Kenneth Hagin's a prophet of God. He's already gone home to be with the Lord. And he often would tell the story of having gone to a particular parsonage, uh, to a city to minister, and he stayed with the the family of the pastor. Of all the things that Brother Hagin was known, he was known as, as an apostle of faith, a father of faith. And, and he really taught the body of Christ how to believe God. And he was used powerfully in the healing ministry. In this pastor's home, he was there for three weeks, staying with them. And he was holding mini- meetings and he was ministering healing and faith. Well, they had a daughter who had epileptic seizures, the worst kind that the doctors had seen. And this pastor and this wife were endeavoring to believe God and to use their faith for their daughter to be made well. That doctors couldn't do anymore. Of all the great messages that, that Brother Hagin preached, the greatest message was the messages on love. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Maybe you, like this woman, have been endeavoring to believe God for healing for your loved one. Maybe your child. Maybe they're going through in a difficult situation. And they're endeavoring to believe God. Babe, babe, if you could hold on for one second, I'm sorry. Um, they're endeavoring to believe God. But every time that Brother Hagin would move, minister about faith, He would talk about Mark 11 and 24. Verse 24 says, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. They're endeavoring to believe God for their daughter to be healed. But he would always go one step further. And he says, 
And as you stand praying, if you have ought in your heart against any, forgive so that your heavenly Father in heaven can forgive you. And every time he'd minister that week after week, it would bother this pastor's wife. One day as he was eating breakfast, she spoke up and said, Brother Hagin, I want to talk to you about what you've been ministering. You see, the problem is I hate my mother-in-law. I hate my mother-in-law. And he'd been ministering that the love of God has been poured in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So if you're a believer, you have the capacity to love like God loves. Really, hate can't be in you when you've got love in you like this. So he says, so what's going on? And he said, well, some things and this and this has happened, and et cetera. He said, he says, I want you to do something. I want you to say it again. But this time, I want you to look down on the inside and tell me what happens. And she said, she said, I hate my mother-in-law. Maybe you're in here and maybe you've got extended family that, you know, it's, it's the relationship's not what it, what it should be. In her, in her case, the, the pastor's wife was never accepted by the mother. Just const, constant difficulty. And she had got to that place where she just developed what she said. Hey, well, when she said, it, I hate my mother-in-law, something on the inside, she had like a check, like it's going crossways against her heart. He began to minister to her. To make a long story short, he ministered to her. She decided to forgive that person. And then all of a sudden, her daughter was miraculously healed. Why? Because faith works by love. Say out loud, I love my mother-in-law. <laughs> I know my mate's probably watching, and, and we're good. Amen. Thank God. How many of y'all know this is where the rubber meets the road? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed in prayer, who is it here that there's something in your heart? Maybe it's a loved one in your immediate family. Maybe it's someone in your extended family. Who it is? I want to lead you in a prayer of forgiveness. Maybe somebody hurts you really bad. Matter of fact, open up your eyes. Let me finish this message. In Psalm 133, the Bible says, and the songs of David, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. It blesses God's heart when families are together. It's like anointing. When they poured anointing on the head of Aaron, it ran down to the garments. And it's like the dew in verse 3. It's like the dew of Hermon and descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. I believe God, in the same way he's commanded you to love, when you love like God loves and decide to forgive like God forgives, then there's a blessing on the other end of that. It doesn't mean that you need to be buddy-buddy. It doesn't mean that you need to go to that person and tell them, you know, and try to reconcile and get back into relationship with them. It does mean that you love them like God loves you. So you say, well, how does God love me? Number one, he forgives me when I mess up. Is that true? And you don't have to go to the person to forgive them. First, forgive them in your heart. Some bridges are burned. You can't unscramble eggs. But in your heart. Oh, who am I talking to? In your heart, you can make a decision that I love that person. 
How does God love me? He never gives up on me. Right? Have you given up on them? And then back up just for a moment because they'll read that while I'm talking. <laughs> Have you given up on them? Maybe a brother hurt you. Maybe a sister. I mean, just burned a bridge and, and you're done. If that's the case, love never gives up. Love will let you go. Right? Now listen, love will let you go, but love will wait for you to come back. Have you given up in your heart of ever seeing reconciliation take place the way that it should be? Number three, love speaks the truth, but it does it with love. If you did have that opportunity, it's okay to tell them what you did really hurt me, but I love you and I have forgiven you and I don't hold that over you and I won't bring it up ever again. That's the way God does Right? He tells us the truth, but he does it with love. And when he forgives us, as far as the east is, he never holds against you what you did. In the same way, you can love them, even if they've hurt you tremendously. And then number four, and this is most important, love respects your boundaries. If your family member tells you, don't come in my house, don't say nothing to me, then you should respect that. Right? That's what God does. He will respect your right to go to hell. He's not going to force you to come to heaven with him. Right? He will respect your right. Now the door is open, but he will respect the boundaries that you set in life. So if that person who hurt you, that you used to hate or have been hating, if they've set boundaries, respect those boundaries. But in your heart, decide to forgive them. Don't give up on them. Look for the possibility and the potential in the future. I'm saying this to you because I say this by the Spirit. Some of you have sons and daughters that you have cut off. As far as you're concerned, we're done. Barely cordial. But that's not the way God intends. So if you want to know how do you forgive someone and, and deal with it, I'm going to teach you how to do it right now. Just bow your heads. I want to lead you in this word of prayer. If you're not ready, then listen to it. And then when you're ready, later on this week, then pray the prayer. Pray this out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this message. And I don't want to be just a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. So I make the decision today. And I do it by faith. I forgive that person that hurt me so severely that I've cut them off. In my heart, I release it. And I believe that maybe someday they'll come to know the love that you have for them like I have for them. I thank you, Father, for helping me to understand your love at this highest level. Teach me your love in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Facebook. Thank you for being a part of this.